0: Homestyle Green, episode 141. Does passive house and green building make sense in a temperate climate? G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. I am Matthew Cutler-Welsh, the host of the show, and this is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. Now, the temperate climate I am talking about today is not necessarily Auckland or anywhere in New Zealand or Australia it is in fact San Diego in California and like i've said many times on the show there are places around the world that are a lot more similar and have a lot we have a lot more in common than we do in difference and so i think even if you're not in California you can learn a lot from this interview with uh, Richard from Alliance Green Builders. It's a I just love the look of this company. I love what they do. Uh, great vibe and um, gee, I just I just love to be doing some of the stuff that he's doing with a with a similar sort of demand. And that's what the show is really all about is about building the type of demand that would um, call for more bu- more building companies like Alliance Green Builders. Now they're only in San Diego at the moment, but my vision is to create. Um, more building companies like this around New Zealand, around Australia, around, and around the world. Um, and the more people that hear about this stuff, then the more likely that is to happen. And uh, to help make this podcast happen, I am very grateful for Proclima, who also help make houses perform very, very well. They are pretty common products in passive houses and there's good reason for that because if you're building a passive house or even something close to that something that you want to perform well you need it to be airtight and that's where um, Proclimber can help out with their products their building wraps and their tapes and I'd also like to do a shout out to Fantech who have also sponsored this show during November and I really appreciate that uh, because the combination of getting your air tightness correct and then your ventilation correct are two really key elements of getting a, a high performing home. And um, they the Pro um, Fantech, sorry, are a great solution for that if you're in Australia and New Zealand. Check them out. You want to go to fantech.com.au in Australia or fantechhhv. Or you can just head over to homestylegreen.com and the links are all there. Now, let's get on to today's interview. And uh, I started out by asking Richard why he does what he does.
1: Well, uh, why I do what I do now is uh, slightly different from the uh, original reason why I got into a green building um, from the beginning uh, a matter of necessity, I was actually, uh, uh had a project down in uh, Costa Rica, uh, and I needed to figure out, I had water issues down there, and I was going to do some gray water recycling and uh, utilize that in toilets and uh, learn the hard way that uh, you need to use gray water within 24 hours. Um, but when I came back to the U.S. and I was doing construction. I, that doesn't sound I realized, pleasant. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't pleasant at all, <laughs> having the sticky toilets. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Toilet. So it wasn't very good. But um, uh, when I started construction back in the U.S., um, I realized just how much construction waste we were throwing away, and uh, uh, it just seemed ridiculous. I realized that I was part of the problem and not really part of the solution. So uh, I wanted to uh, change that. Uh, When uh, the U.S. Green Building Council launched the LEED um, uh, program, um, I had a a format and uh, a structure for actually doing green building, and that's kind of how I got started. Um, but as I've uh, um, continued on uh, in my career now, I have a, a son, you know, that's probably good reasons, you know, I'm, try- I'm trying to, uh, uh, I-, I want him when he grows up to see that his dad actually was, you know, part of the solution and not part of the problem. But um, now after going in and, uh, and doing projects very differently than the way we used to do them, we realized that, you know, we're really just building to a higher standard of quality. Um, there's a lot of altruistic aspects to green building, uh, but there are also um, really direct benefits to homeowners and to uh, the buildings themselves, uh, which really make a difference. So that's, as I said, it's a, it's kind of evolved over the years. It's it's really hard to go back once you kind of swallow the pill and you understand the um, you know building performance and, and building science. Ah, uh, you realize you can't go back to the old way of building where you just threw ducting in and you didn't really model it to see if you getting good delivery and how much energy use you had. So, so it sounds like you were
0: slightly ahead of the curve in that you were doing some stuff already. And when lead appeared on the scene, you were able to latch onto it and um, and and make the most of it.
1: Yes, yes, and it was the uh, the first project I did. Uh, it was difficult because you know lead is a very rigorous. Uh, a rating system and I tell people if it wasn't rigorous it really wouldn't mean so much to accomplish a certification but um, yeah it, but it's funny that it's a little bit like riding a bike after you've gone through the first uh, um, through it the first time it's, uh, It becomes pretty easy and uh, uh, it's it acted as a launching pad for me to actually go into a, a, a much more depth and um, you know we're looking at passive house uh, design have been trained as a passive house builder here in the U.S. and we have our uh, we're building our first Passive House project in, uh, in San Diego County. Uh, people laugh at us here in California in the Passive House community saying you just build a house and it's a Passive House in San Diego because <laughs> our weather is so, so mild. But, uh, uh, but there are advantages to doing it here because we actually can reduce our, uh, the sizing of our HVAC systems. And um, our ultimate goal is to uh, build green and actually build uh, uh, for less cost than conventional construction. Uh, in many ways because of uh, uh, just a small in additional investment in the envelope uh, can save a lot in uh, not right. only first cost for uh, um, heating and cooling equipment but uh, uh, operational costs as well.
0: Is there some truth in that that w- why go to the trouble of building a passive house in a, in a relatively mild quite friendly climate?
1: Well it's it's it, it's a great question because you know here in San Diego we still put it in these giant heating and cooling systems in our homes, and you mm. think, why? You yeah. know, we're building these terribly inefficient homes, even in a really um, uh, temperate climate. But still, we need to heat and cool them. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So it, it, it makes sense to actually do passive house here, because again, it's really we don't have to go that much more more beyond code in order to build a passive house. Um, really, we you know we have two by six framing. Uh, we all do all wood framing here, so it used to be two by fours, now code requires two by six, so we have uh, sufficient insulation in the walls uh, and in our roof assemblies. We just have to really uh, tighten up our envelope because uh, we have very leaky envelopes here. We haven't really thought about tightening up the envelope because that's that's really where it's key here in San Diego is just tightening up the envelope, and obviously when you tighten up the envelope, you need to uh, provide adequate ventilation, um, and uh, we've been... Uh, it's a hard sell in San Diego here because everybody says we just open our windows, yeah. but, uh, but we do do uh, balanced ventilation uh, with heat recovery and uh, energy recovery ventilation systems. Uh, so that's, that's a common
0: concern or argument against air tightness around the world is I like fresh air and I like to have indoor-outdoor flow and throw mm-hmm. open the, the doors and the windows. How do you combat that?
1: It's it's uphill battle. But uh, I think when people go into a home that actually has uh, a heat recovery ventilation system, you know, the light bulb goes on because the home actually feels bright. You know, when you when you open your just open your doors and windows, unless you've got a really good breeze flowing, how are you going to get that adequate uh, distribution of air throughout the house? Uh, eliminate moisture because mostly here we actually have higher moisture for most of the year indoors and outdoors. Yeah. To uh, get that out, uh, that moisture out.
0: Yeah, we that's pretty much uh, common here as well. We have eighty yeah. percent relative humidity for a good chunk of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do people have to experience that? Can you explain that and convert someone, or does someone really have to go and feel it for themselves?
1: I think they do have to feel it for themselves. Um, the California code uh, now um, has required uh, either uh, exhaust only or supply only to meet, say, uh, what's a, as a, a standard here is the uh, uh, ASHRAE standard 62 um, yep. that we have to uh, comply with here. Uh, but again, if you're, and most people are, or most builders are um, achieving um, code compliance. By doing exhaust only with continuously operating uh, bathroom fans, um, but you're really right. what you're doing is you're you know you're if you're building a tight house and trying to suck out air through a tight house, uh, it doesn't really work, and you're still not getting that adequate distribution. So I think that um, uh, down the road we will see requirements for uh, balanced proper balanced ventilation, uh, and in certain climate zones, certain uh, we should have heat recovery or energy recovery uh, ventilation as well
0: what's the trajectory of passive house in california and and the us as well and and i know there's been a bit of controversy about uh passive house standard and whether the us should have its own standard or adopt the well, passive house standard <laughs> i think
1: i think that ship has sailed we actually do have our own standard um you know we still have that uh uh you know divide between those who are um uh, loyal to the uh, Passive House Institute standard, you know, one standard for all, yeah. all, of, all of the world. Um, but uh, it's you know, if if you're trying to uh, achieve a Passive House uh, Institute standard in in, in Fargo, uh, you're you're going to have five foot thick walls of insulation. It just yeah. doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, we have in San Diego here alone, um, within within two hours. Any, in any direction. I mean, I could I could surf in the morning, be skiing in the afternoon, and then be sitting in the desert around the pool drinking a cocktail in the evening. I mean, the the, the you know just in San Diego alone, the dynamic uh, uh, in the microclimates is just amazing here. So, um, and we just we have too many too many climates here. We really do have to do it here. So I'm I'm obviously on the side of uh, having uh, individual uh, um, uh, modeling for for different climate zones. So the the,
0: uh, I guess the, the people on the other side of the fence would argue that the standard is, should work wherever you are because it's a performance standard based on internal temperatures and uh, surface temperatures and air changes. What, how does it need to adapt, do you think, for your area and why?
1: Well, you know, we still use the uh, uh, the Passive House programming package, uh, but we, you know, it's it's and we're moving on to now what's called Woofy Passive as well. I mean, there's still it's funny because there's this divide, yet there's still a lot of commonality, and it's almost like a friendly uh, (laughs) disagreement, I suppose. Yeah, but um, uh, it's you know the. Even in other areas of Europe, they've they in northern very northern Europe, they've identified that, you know, it's just not gonna work. It just does it just it just can't work. Um it seems kind of ludicrous to um utilize a standard just for the sake of utilizing a standard when the dynamics of climate are just are so different. It just, you know, it's German Germany is pretty pretty universal in its climate, you know, but you know we got it doesn't it doesn't get 110 degree temperatures uh, you know dry temperatures and you know that may lower down to 95 degrees at night for a good portion of the year say like in phoenix for example or right you know you're looking in new orleans you know it's just yeah new orleans yeah. is a very different climate than uh, you know fargo far north dakota <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is the
0: uh, the um the high temperatures and keeping cool is is that more the emphasis
1: for you yeah, you know that it's interesting uh, because we know passive house works very well in colder climates, but uh, we still have to work and figure this out. It's a bit—it's a bit of an experiment. And in, uh, um, in, in cooling climates, um, we have where our project is. We have huge diurnal um, swings where it can be extremely cold in, at night sometimes, and then just incredibly hot in the day. Uh, and then we have swings throughout the year too. So. Um, you know, a, a passive house is very good at keeping in the heat. So our concern is that we may end up with, you know, overheating a house. Yeah. Uh, certainly we know that we will overheat a house if we use the Passive House Institute standard. We would know, and that's happened. I mean, even in, even up in Oregon, it's happened where you go, oh, uh, you know, for those shoulder seasons, um, where they haven't, they you know, they expected that <laughs> they're going to require, um, a heating where they've actually had to end up to require cooling, So, because you know, we—the one thing about us Americans—we're very good at uh, uh, having uh, utilizing a lot of energy on inside with all of our Xboxes and TVs and yeah, loads of little heaters.
0: Yes, we do. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You mentioned that that, um, doing a good design can save you, obviously, in the running costs, but also in the in the build cost, primarily on the HVAC system. Is that? Um is that always the case? Is it always um yeah, because the, the, the big the most common complaint is is gonna be more expensive to build green. Is that true? And how do you convince people otherwise?
1: Well, you know, that's one of the things that we like to do. you know, when you're first going in your first green building project, yeah, you throw money at it because you don't really you know how to value engineer, and then you figure out how to value engineer um, the project. Certainly if you're gonna buy a a PV system, solar PV, that is going to add to the cost. But there are things that you can do which don't cost more. Um, there's a good example, like I said, is that you know really, we, if if you're building, if you have an energy inefficient building, you're going to have to make up for that with um, uh, heating and cooling. So if you and I said, as I said here in San Diego, um, in particular um it's it's different than say colder climate or sorry yeah very cold climates where you do have to actually add a lot more insulation for our, for our zone here it's really just, it doesn't just make too much difference it's so just a small uh, additional investment and uh paying attention during the building process to um to uh, where you may be getting um, thermal bypasses that are unnecessary that type of thing um people you know, flooring, bamboo flooring, for example. I mean, gosh, that's, uh, you know, bamboo is considered green, even though it comes from China. Um, but it is a rapidly renewable resource, and, you know, it's very inexpensive to do that. And you can spend a lot of money on, um, you know, hardwood flooring, but if you do engineered flooring that's uh, made from bamboo, it's less expensive. So it's a matter of value engineering, it. it's not really. Um, th- certain things are going to cost more. Heat recovery ventilation system um, is going to cost more. You're getting... Um, a better quality uh, up there. Um, it, you're getting better quality thermal comfort when investing in the envelope. So, I like to think of it. Okay, green, if you think of green building as building to a higher standard of quality, people people typically think higher quality actually costs a little bit more too. Yeah. People are willing to pay for higher quality too. So we try and package green building as kind of green for all those aspects of green building, which are have universal appeal, no matter what your politics, I suppose.
0: Right, so I've heard it described um, by another guest on the show that there's sort of three main categories. There's people that are driven by economics, people who are driven by comfort and health, and then those that just want to be green. Mm-hmm. And the first category, the people that it's all about cost, account for over half of the market. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, we've we've reached a tipping point here um, in the U.S., which is fantastic. And, you know, the production builders are the ones who really um, are the drivers of, uh, you know, the the trends that are happening now. And they've realized that providing um, an option for solar PV makes a lot of financial sense for everybody because it adds a little bit to your mortgage. But it saves you a lot in operational costs for, for your home. So there's a good example, you know, how, you know, mo- everybody was really going to do that. It's, I can see that it would be more than half if you just polled people said, hey, if, you're, if, you, if you could add a little bit to your mortgage, but you could save a lot of money in the long run. Uh, and so it nets out uh, a positive for you. Would you be up for it? Who's going to say no? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the, bit, even there, some people
0: will just hit, just get stuck on that, add a bit to your mortgage. It's like, not, not interested. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just, you know, that's a given because <laughs> that's true, you know, because people know oh, I'm adding more to my mortgage, but um, it's a little amorphous, I guess, if you're going to save, but uh, save on your energy bill, people will say how much, you know, and you really can't tell because nobody knows how much people are going to run their air conditioning or their heating or anything. But with a,
0: something like phpp you can tell right
1: yes you can yes but um there's still some limitations to uh uh, phpp yeah um that uh you know plug loads for example that's very very difficult to predict you know behavior of occupants very difficult so those xboxes again yeah that's right (laughs) (laughs) exactly
0: now you mentioned green for all there and you've is that a term that you've coined? You've got a um a, a great infographic on your website uh under that title. Tell us about what green for all means for you
1: well um actually that was uh, I, I i actually coined the term universal appeal of green building and uh, one of our staff uh, did that and i said oh that's really nice i like that you know i think it probably had more to do with uh, the universal appeal of green building is a very long link to put on a website so, <laughs> so she yeah, came up true. with that one so that. i don't get any credit for that that's our our staff member uh, katie tier who came up with that one so she's our green programs manager uh, Uh, in your company
0: but the universal appeal for green building makes sense as well and that's it's what we were just talking about is that even if you're not a greenie or that way inclined Mm -hmm. your number one point there healthy indoor air quality who wouldn't want that uh and it it ends it it ends out in asset financial protection and again who wouldn't want that yeah so does that link back to your concept of, of green building really just being about building to a higher standard
1: Yes, it does. Enhanced thermal quality, reduce the operational costs of a home. Um, in addition, that's that everybody would want that, really. We're yeah. going to say how much does it cost, but. Uh, <laughs> sure.
0: Now you are you're a building company. Um, how much influence do you have over design?
1: Not enough. Usually, um, we come in. Um, after um, an architect has or architectural designer uh, has um, um, come up with the, the plans and has gone yeah. to get a permit, so we have to adapt it. Um, that is shifting a little bit too, um, and uh, we are actually getting um, designers to to talk to us before. Um, you know, it's funny because when you go to um, any of the um, USGBC uh, meetings, you find that it's almost everybody except for architects and architectural designers. There's a few of them there that are. Is that right? Yeah. I wish there were more. Well, I think I've seen it even with my friends who are architects, you know, oh, uh, you know, we already know all this. Well, of course they don't know it all. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Right. Well, I, think they <laughs> I, do. I may be, I may be pissing off a few, uh, a few architects here. <laughs> sure.
0: Well, we have them on the show, so yeah, they can fend for Sorry. themselves. <laughs> they can, they can defend themselves. They're fine. So, that and I can imagine that being a problem because, it, particularly if it's a, an architect like a full blown architect, they're gonna um want to keep the place um well c- keep control of that process and and not um let some builder make a whole bunch of changes. Uh, and also, I guess another problem I can see is that the homeowner has been convinced of a whole f- bunch of. Um, products and features at that stage, do you Mm -hmm. often have to change things or do you try and change things around if you can see that something's
1: not quite to the standard that you'd like it?
0: Um,
1: We have, you know, as a builder, we have a lot of flexibility. Obviously, our our relationship is primarily with the homeowner um, and we we can do things that really don't affect too much architecturally. Sometimes... Right. You know, it's very difficult when you see a steel beam that's coming in a house and going outside. you think, well, I can't do anything about that. there's a big huge thermal bypass there yeah um, but um, uh, there are things that we can do, for example in hot water distribution systems or the way we do hot water heating, um, you know using heat pump water heaters uh, those right. types of things we can we you know we've gotten pretty adept at figuring out how we can we can influence um, a project to uh really vastly improve it um and uh and, and typically the, the, the homeowners are on board with that
0: can you give us the uh, top three for um if you're doing a renovation or, or if you're doing a new build what are the sort of a low-hanging f- fruit or the top three tips that you would give to someone to to really hit those um objectives of the green for all concept
1: well, it's um, it's it's that's a really fun, fun one to answer because uh, there's something that which might be obvious. For example, um, using 100% high efficacy lighting if it's if you can achieve that versus uh, uh, utilizing incandescent lighting. So LEDs or CFLs. Now LEDs have gotten so good, yeah, uh, and come down in price dramatically, and um, they made uh, vast improvements. For you know one of the limitations to uh, both LED and CFLs before it was um, when you dim them, you actually don't get the uh, the light warming up the way that you do with incandescent. Yeah, yeah. They're now got these uh, different technologies which change the uh, operating of the operation of different diodes to actually warm them up. So, you know, that's a very inexpensive one to do. And plus, you can do so much fun
0: stuff with them because they come yes. in strips and panels and different colors, and it's
1: great. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, another thing too, for example, um, you know, typically we use have utilized fiberglass bats. Um, for insulating and um, the quality um, of the insulation when you actually use fiberglass bats is vastly inferior to um, what you can achieve when you spray in cellulose into walls uh, especially when you have uh, piping in those walls and other things like uh, electrical outlets and switches and those types of things so you can really dramatically improve the um, R-value of your of your wall assemblies. Um, we bid out recently um, a 3,000-square-foot home, and the upcharge to go from cellulose from fiberglass bats was $65. So Wow, for this, the whole house. Yeah, exactly. So you can vastly improve the um, uh, thermal comfort and energy efficiency of the house. For sixty five dollars, so that's pretty. So is that
0: is that a function of the material being fiberglass versus cellulose, or is it because you're changing from bats to loose fill blown in material?
1: Well, um, in in the wall, it's dense in the walls. It's dense pack, so it's actually sprayed in wet, so it's and squeegeed off. So I mean, when you see um, a wall that that looks like that, I don't know if you do it down New Zealand, but uh, um, uh, it just you just think, wow, that's the way to insulate because you. I've, really, seen, it, you I've seen it on Grand Designs. Yeah. Okay. So and <laughs> I'm not quite sure I should understand this, but I don't quite understand the physics of this. But if you have, you know, you need full contact on all six sides with um, fiberglass bats and say you have a little electrical outlet and, you know, you have that fiberglass bat in that bay has to kind of wrap around a bit, you know, and you might get about 2%. Say you got 2% uh, uh, void right there. Well, that 2% void actually equates to about a 48% uh, reduction in the overall efficiency of that entire bay right there. So when you kind of think about it, and you look at the way people typically insulate with fiberglass bats, you probably could say, well, probably at best, this this insulation is functioning about fifty percent of its cap- full you know, capacity. Yeah. So they may they may have an R they may stay an R value of R nineteen for a wall uh, for, with it, um, typical fiberglass insulation, but maybe it's really only truly performing at you know half of that. Which is
0: crazy because, for two reasons. One is if people are building right to the code, it means that their house isn't actually built to the code because it's not uh, achieving those parameters. And secondly, effectively, they're being ripped off because they're not getting what they paid for.
1: Exactly. They think their walls are, you know, there's insulation in the walls and they're getting the full benefit of that, and they're not. Um, We have uh, now in the code, something called QII, which stands for quality insulation, installation. Uh, And when this first came out, um, it, uh, there was an upcharge. Our insulators were having an upcharge for QII. So you say for doing the job properly, you mean, exactly. I probably will charge extra for that. (laughs) Charging extra to do it right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, but I guess that's the cost of change as well. But I mean, that's, that's awesome that California is doing that. And, Really um, highlighting that issue because it, it is it's a big problem here, um, and I know it's a problem across the UK, Australia as well. That people seem to delegate or relegate insulation installation to the cheapest labour, right? Yeah, but it is actually um, you've got to have attention to detail. It doesn't have to be a, a, like a fine skill, but there does need to be attention to detail.
1: Yeah. And it's really, you know, you, you have to think back to when we're actually bidding on a job because we're bidding against other builders who are doing things the old way and they're trying to get their, 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 you know, put up in a price as inexpensive as possible. Yeah. We have to go in and we bid a project um, and we have a very detailed um, uh, estimate for a project for a homeowner. But we show a base price of, for example, just bat insulation. And then we'll put in an option for cellulose or for an option you know different options in for for example say we use the cfl's then we have an option for leds um we have uh just basic um uh, hot water delivery design versus high performance hot water delivery design and people will ask about that it helps us get the job because our bottom number is is, is matches the other builders but then they'll say well what is this right and you explain it to them then you have to explain it to them they'll say oh well maybe i'll, I'll look into that you know so so your There's
0: baseline, a, bottom line with with the standard features is is the same, and then you upsell on on the improvements.
1: I wouldn't say upsell. You put the options in there, and you you provide the education to people. And right. you know, again, it's going back to that you know universal appeal. You know, is are they interested in air indoor air quality and those types of things? Are they interested in thermal comfort, right. or lower operational costs, or you know, a good another good example? One of the most wonderful things that we do in our homes is that we treat all our framing with sodium borate um i don't know do you have termites down there in new zealand i can't Uh, we don't have
0: termites but uh well in some places we do but there there are i mean wherever you are in the planet there there's something that's going to attack your framing whether it's just moisture or Mm -hmm. if it's some sort of little critter (laughs) right yeah so you need treatment in some in some form
1: yeah, there's uh, sodium borate. I mean, I forgot what the cost is per square foot, but, but we think it averages say like twenty five hundred dollars for a home to treat uh, all the framing. And so for the lifetime, it'll actually guarantee for the lifetime of a home. Um, you could pay a little bit every every ten years, pay about three hundred dollars, I think, what it is. So you get another ten years of uh, uh, warranty on that. But to not have termites in the in the wood framing of the home, and you know be able to have mold reduction, um, you know, fire resistance, adding all these. Um you know, tenting a house once costs over the twenty five hundred dollars, and we have ter- you know, we have flying termites here. they're all over the place. We don't have yeah, that many yeah. subterranean termites here. It's like one of those things that you know should be in the code eventually, but um, you know that's an option there that we provide. We don't actually put that in. we put that in as an option so right. once people understand that, we have nobody that says, mm, no, I don't want to do that yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah okay so you you mentioned the lighting and um up, up the changing the insulation to uh, a better form of insulation and better quality. Is there anything else that's sort of a a um, no brainer or a real
1: easy hanging fruit? Well, yeah. I say as a builder, one of the things that um, that's really simple, easy to do. Again, this is value engineering, and I'm probably getting a little bit into the weeds here on some some things. But yeah. uh, um, you know, we we our typical construction is here is slab on grade, and then we put down for our bottom plates uh, in our framing, um, pressure treated wood yep. and then we put our conventional framing on top there. Now we do, um, put underneath our slabs. We do put, um, uh, a vapor barrier there, but you still get moisture in your slab. I mean, there's still moisture going to get in the slab, um, even there's like internal footings under the slab, those types of things, moisture, you're going to have moisture drive there. Well, wood is designed for capillary action and to provide, you know, transport water. So even though you have pressure treated wood. On uh, your bottom plates, that moisture is going to get up into the rest of your framing. So yeah. you can very easily put down what's called a sill seal, uh, you know a piece of foam or a rubber gasket underneath the bottom plate. It's completely cheap to do, a little bit of extra labor hardly at all. And you know you don't have that water transport into your framing. very expensive and it adds the added quality of you know we have uh, when it gets in the dry season here, our ants we get a lot of ants in our homes too, so it helps keep out those pests as well. So it's just it just makes a lot of sense and it provides an additional to air seal instead of having to caulk around the uh, uh bottom plate you have the air sealing. So very exp- inexpensively you can add uh pest proofing, uh reduce moisture in your framing uh and uh, greater air sealing uh in the envelope by just, you know, adding a few a few extra dollars to the, the project cost. And
0: that that's not in the code. Uh no, it isn't in the code. Wow. That's uh that's pretty interesting. Yeah hey um, th- look we're we're just about out of time rich so it's um it's great uh having you on the show just before we close um you talked a little bit about the you're obviously in a good space there's lots of demand. how would you describe the general market is is um the awareness increasing now? are there more people asking for what you're offering or are they coming to use because of your uh name in in green building? Um, how do you see the market changing?
1: Yeah, we, do, we, do, we have seen a shift. Um, in Northern California in particular, um, there's a lot more demand. And um, San Diego, funny enough, even though you know we considered surfers and everything down here, we're fairly conservative. So um, in the residential sector, there has been a little bit of a slower adoption. But as people have started to really understand um, the benefits of greenfielding direct benefits to them because before people were thinking, you know, recycled content countertops, but now yeah, they're understanding. Yeah. Compost and understanding. Bins. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now the people are understanding. And again, this is, we can thank probably lots of, uh, of the, uh, um, uh, production builders for that, but people are coming to us because, uh, they, they they want to know what they're going to get. Um, they know that there is, um, Health benefits um, to to green building and those types of things yeah. they may not fully really understand them but we're still we're, you know that's why they come to us to help them understand those so
0: things. it comes back to that universal appeal of green building
1: correct yeah so I I wish more people understood it but that's 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 our mission here is to uh, is to uh, we're hoping that someday all every we we'll put ourselves out of business because every builder is doing what we're doing uh, yeah well that's I think that's
0: the the underlying philosophy of any really good business that's that's um solving a problem is that one yes. day that problem won't exist
1: yes exactly
0: hey um are you still on the tools rich are you are you out on the work site
1: uh, oh i right now i'm not on the work site no but no, i'll no, will just... shall be shortly right so you still get out there and uh bang some nails in oh i'm dangerous on a job site you uh. know now i'm <laughs> i could probably use a hammer but uh, you know keep me away from a uh, you know, drilling into concrete, I'll hit rebar and uh, probably break my jaw. <laughs> right, right. So you got
0: a good team there?
1: Yeah, we got a great team, yeah. Where can people find
0: you online and uh, and uh, get in touch?
1: Um, they can look us up through our website, uh, Alliance Green Builders, A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E for AllianceGreenBuilders.com. And uh, I can reach uh, be reached directly at uh, Rich, R-I-C-H, at com
0: what's your
1: range where do you work uh we're throughout san diego county we've had uh um uh, inquiries from uh, northern california napa valley uh and as fun as it would be to uh be traveling up there and uh and doing work up there um it's a little impractical to do that sure <laughs>
0: yeah then but do you have people that you can refer to if they're, if they're outside of your
1: your region? Oh, absolutely absolutely yeah. yeah i mean the community is uh it's a pretty tight community. I'm surprised whenever I find out somebody that I didn't know about within Sandy Works. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's doing something in the green building realm. Awesome.
0: Hey, well, thank you very much for your time, Richard. Really appreciate it, and we'll certainly put those links up there. You've got some great uh, resources um, on your website, um, and that page, the Green for All page, is a, is a really good place to start with a with a very easy to understand uh, infographic. The whole page is really uh, one big infographic, so people can check that out. And it's got some great, great concepts and facts in there.
1: Great. It's been a pleasure, Matthew. Thank you very much. Okay. Take care now.
0: Rich Williams there, CEO and founder of Alliance Green Builders. I hope you enjoyed that. And not just if you, obviously, in the San Diego area, but uh, wherever you are, I think we can take learning from that. Like I said at the top of the show, We've got a lot more in common uh, around the world than we do in difference. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, You can find out all the notes from this episode, like others, over at homestylegreen.com forward slash 141 for the show notes for this show. Uh, Stay tuned. We've got lots more interviews coming up. But until next week, go make a better place to live.